0: Welcome to Inspire Churches Podcast. We're excited you're listening. Our hope is to inspire you to grow in God's Word, to grow more in love with Christ, and to go be a light wherever you are. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at InspireChurches.com. We are actually right in the thick of things, and we are making our way through uh, chapters 9, 10, and 11 um, through this letter. And Pastor Phil did chapter 9 last week. He did an incredible job. Um, It was dense and complex, um, and he did a great job at just uh, getting us through, and it was very very transformative. And so I would really recommend that you uh, check out the podcast. Uh, You can kind of get up to speed on where we're at. Um, But in chapter eight, uh, what we really see is Paul's talking about this security that we have in Christ. And Paul ends chapter eight with this sort of crescendo that proclaims nothing can separate us from the love of God. Um, But then he asks this question as just kind of an objection to, to maybe what some people are saying to him, which is, well, wait a minute, what about the Jews? What about God's Promise. What about God's chosen people? This, this doesn't seem fair or right. Um, the Jews have been, um, keeping the law for centuries. Um, has God forgotten about them? So Paul goes into answering this objection and by answering it, he, he explains God's sovereignty. And then at the end of chapter 9, which was last week, he brings up another objection, which is this. Well, wait a minute. If God is sovereign, then is man responsible? Which he answers yes. But thank God that uh, he didn't end it there because he goes on to explain this responsibility. And this is where we uh, pick up in Romans chapter 10. So I'm excited for what God has for us today, and I believe that this series really is going to speak to uh, the season that we all are in right now. And I know some of you have really had a difficult week this week, and I pray that this message is just going to bless you and feed you and edify you. And so why don't you join me by looking at Romans chapter 10, and we're going to read the whole chapter right now. So here we go. It reads like this, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for some people of Israel, uh, I'm sorry, it's for the people of Israel to be saved. Um, I know what enthusiasm they have or zeal they have for God, but it's a misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way for getting right with God by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. For Moses writes that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, don't say in your heart who will go up to heaven uh, to bring Christ down to earth. And don't say who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again. In fact, it says that the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you are saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him, will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call upon him. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But wait a minute, how can they call upon him to save them? unless they believe in him. And how can they believe in him if they have not heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. But um, But not everyone welcomes the good news. For Isaiah the prophet said, The Lord said, Lord, who has believed our message? So faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. But I ask, have the people of Israel actually heard the message? Yes, they have. The message has gone throughout the earth and the words to all the world. But I ask, did the people of Israel really understand? Yes, they did. For even in the time of Moses, God said, I will rouse your jealousy through people who are not even a nation. I will provoke your anger through the foolish Gentiles. And later, Isaiah spoke boldly for God, saying, I was found by people who were not even looking for me. I showed myself to those who weren't even asking for me. But regarding Israel, God said, All day long, I opened my arms to them, but they were disobedient and rebellious. Wow. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we get into your word this morning, may your word get into us. Lord Jesus, I just pray that uh, your word will be a strong fortress of strength as we face the various vicissitudes and trials of the season that we are in. Heavenly Father, teach us, Lord God, that our faith is not derivative of the conditions, Lord God, but we are, our faith is anchored in Jesus Christ. And Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord God, that your gospel will be heard. Lord Jesus, I thank you, Lord God, for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Um, You know, wrestling with Romans 9 and 10, um, you come to understand and come to kind of get this feeling uh, about how it is that God responds to unbelief um, and lostness of God's chosen people, Israel. Uh, by rejecting Jesus as their Savior, uh, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, um, by rejecting that treasure, they are accursed and, and cut off from eternal life. And Paul comes back to this over and over again. I mean, again, if you read Romans chapter nine twenty seven, it says, "Though the number of the sons of Israel may be as the as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved." Right. Or if you look at Romans chapter 10, 1 and 2, Paul says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer is to God for them that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Then actually further down in the very same chapter, chapter 10, verse 16, Paul says, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what has what they've heard from us, verse 21, but of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held up my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. What we are hearing here is this is going to be Paul's burden all the way through chapters 9, 10, all the way through to the end of chapter 11. In other words, Israel's present unbelief and rebellion is not the whole story, um, nor is it the end of the story. But they really were in a state of disruption. In fact, as I was thinking about that, I know most of us today are in a state of, of disruption. Our normal has been disrupted and, and even really in an assaulting sort of way. It's not like this came upon us gradually or by choice, but really this whole season that we're in right now came suddenly. Everything had suddenly changed and in many ways, our faith is tested Uh, To see, is it really anchored in Christ or is it anchored in circumstances? Because as of yet, we have not seen uh, the normalcy of life come back. We have not seen the emergency bans lifted. We have not seen our churches go back to normal gatherings. Or we have not seen restaurants and movie theaters open back up. And those, these, though these things are luxuries, they really are our normal. And yet, through the complexities of COVID-19, the Lord has is shaking us. And and he's shaking us in a way where we are really having our vulnerabilities exposed, especially with like this shelter-in-place. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm getting sick of shelter in place. And they call it shelter, but really I think they should have called it more like a sane asylum. That's how I feel at my house because my three daughters who were angels now have turned to demons and I just don't even know what to do about it. I mean, because think about it, parenting and discipline, that's changed so much throughout the years. It's not the same as it was growing up, right? My great-grandmother, she was like a ninja when it came to discipline. I don't know how your great-grandmother was, but anybody have great-grandmother ninjas out there when it came to discipline? She definitely was. She could hit you with a spoon and praise the Lord at the same time. No joke. She'd be in church and she'd be saying, yes, amen, pastor. Go ahead, say it again. Stop, I said stop around. Amen. And you're just like, oh my gosh, what just happened? You don't even know. You're, you're looking at your hands. You're like, why am I bleeding? Oh my goodness, right? It's just this way that, that, that she was able to do this was so crazy to me. And that's not like it is today. Today is completely different, right? Today, you, you see some kid acting up in the store and the mom goes, chance, chance. Listen, that's a fire in the store, young man. That, nah, you know better than that. That's so different, right? When I go and I talk to my daughters, I say, listen, you need to go and you need to apologize to your sister. They're so dramatic. (sighs) What? Yes, you need to apologize. (sighs) Fine. Sorry. And I'm like, what? Sorry. I didn't hear you. Sorry, okay? And I'm like, please, can you just say sorry nicely? Uh, I did. Young lady, get to your room. Right? I mean, you could see this dialogue. What? You're a pastor. Don't you believe in grace? I mean, the whole thing. You know what I'm saying? And I can finally understand what my grandmother was thinking when she disciplined us the way we were. Because this, this shelter in place is getting, I think, to all of us, right? And if you're anything like me, you're, you're ready to get back to normal. But with that, have some questions, right? Like, well, what will normal look like? Or some people may wonder, well, will they financially recover from this? For others, they look at what's going on in the world and they wonder, will God provide? Or how about this? I think many people are asking the question, has God forgotten us? Has God forgotten us? In fact, I was actually asked this question once I was uh, in an airport and I was heading to a uh, conference that I was speaking at in there was a guy sitting there and he was reading this book on like mathematics and, you know, abstract objects or something like that. And so I thought, mm, that's a different kind of book. And so I thought I'd spark up some conversation with him. And one thing led to another and we started talking and eventually he found out I was a pastor and I was going to go speak. Um, and so we started talking about belief and we started talking about faith and it got down to the point where I was saying, listen, I really believe that Jesus is the only way to salvation, And he was just so taken back from that. And he's like, no, you don't really believe that. And I'm like, yeah, I do. And he's like, no, you don't. He was like doing some Jedi mind trick, you know, like, no, you don't believe that. And I was like, no, I do. I do believe that. And this is kind of the problem that our culture has. See, our culture doesn't mind us explaining that we found salvation in Jesus. It's the idea that Jesus is the only way to find salvation, that they just can't accept. It's it's something that people stumble over. And I think one of the reasons people object to this is because it seems like God's just being unfair, right? That it's unfair of God to just declare that Jesus is the only way when not everybody's heard about Jesus. And somehow we've got it in our mind that it's like, here's somebody and and maybe they've never heard of Jesus and they die. And God appears and says, aha, you didn't receive Jesus. And they're like, Jesus who? And he says, no, too late. And he sends them down to hell as they're screaming, no way. No, I didn't know. And Jesus says, tough cookies in Latin or something, right? We have this idea in our head that this is what it is. And it seems so arbitrary. It's almost like if a dictator all of a sudden said, everybody with spiky hair is now going to prison. And you're like, wait a minute. I didn't know this rule that seems so unfair. How was I supposed to know, right? And, and, And that's sort of this idea that we've come up with in our minds and we sort of ask things about like, well, what about the innocent native that never heard about God? It doesn't seem fair that God would hold somebody accountable to something they didn't even know. And so because of these objections, people in America have developed what we tend to call function functioning universalism, right? Where, where they think that, well, you know, if there is a heaven, then probably everyone's going to go there except for maybe the really bad people. And then if there is a hell, then that's probably only for like maybe the Hitlers or the Stalins of the world. That's kind of what they're thinking. And to be honest, frankly, a lot of Christians, they don't even really think much about it. They just kind of say, well, I know what I believe, and I'm not going to bother anybody else about it. And in the end, it's their business anyway, and it'll all work out. We kind of have this passive way of looking at things. But what I actually wanna show you is that Paul reaches a very different conclusion and it has dramatic implications for his life. And I wanna take you through some of the steps in Romans that he takes to get there. And this really has the potential to completely revolutionize your mindset. But I think in order to grasp what Paul is saying here in chapter 10, we have to remember that what he says here isn't isolated. This isn't, this isn't a side text to something, but this is part of the large letter of Romans. And so I think for us to understand this, we need to see that Paul has been building a logical case all the way from chapter one to make the arguments and the statements that he's making here. And so what I want to do is I want you to go with me as we look at these logical steps that Paul has taken. In fact, there's five steps that Paul moves in. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So they are without excuse. So logical step number one is this, that God has revealed himself to everybody. Paul says that God has shown himself to people and made truth plain to them about who he is. Well, how? How does he do that? Well, Paul says that God does this in two ways. First, with the glory and beauty of creation, that creation itself teaches us that there's a creator, that when you look at nature, when you look at the natural world, and and, and you're in this sort of innate sense of awe and wonder when we look at it, and and we look up and and somehow we instinctively know that there's no way that all of this could have came from nothing. It doesn't make sense. Something can't come from nothing. There has to be something beyond this. Right? And so when you experience love and beauty and family and pain and death, when you look at the beauty of creation, you know that this could not just be a biological accident. And for those who want to claim materialistic naturalism, they really find themselves at an intellectual standstill because they want uh, to treat everybody as though we were all created equal with sort of these rights. Um, And yet their own worldview doesn't believe that. First, they don't believe that we were created at all. They definitely don't believe that we were created equal. And they don't believe that we have intrinsic worth or value. In other words, their existential reality doesn't even line up with the worldview that they try to proselytize. And so again, what Paul says is, listen, God has revealed himself through nature. The second thing that Paul says is that innately, we know what is right and wrong, that God has written moral law in your heart, that when your consciousness tells you something is wrong and you feel that it's wrong and you're still doing it, that there's something there inside of you which points innately to a law giver. And I don't have time to demonstrate all the uh, kind of you know, illogical fallacies that evolutionary moralism can bring about, except let me just say this, that if that is correct, if evolutionary moralism is correct, then they, you have to agree with what Richard Dawkins says, who's an Oxford biologist, when he talks about Uh, moralism. And this is what he says when he explains it. He says, DNA neither cares nor knows. DNA just is. And we dance to its music. So in other words, the 9-11 terrorists or the serial killers or the members of the KKK, they're not actually doing anything wrong. They're just dancing to the music of their DNA. Now, we we, we might say that, but inside of our heart, we know that 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 can't be right. Because on our hearts, a moral law was written, and we know there was a God. One of the greatest illustrations that I love about this is with Helen Keller, who was both blind and deaf, and there was a lady named Miss Sullivan who cared for her and Miss Sullivan eventually became a Christian. She converted she became a, 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 a beautiful Christian, and she wanted to uh, really sort of uh, lead uh, Miss Keller to Jesus Christ or at least you know tell her about God somehow so she goes to this doctor named Doctor Brooks and said, "Would you please come and talk to Miss Helen Keller about God?" And so he says yes. And how how they would communicate is through pressure points that that Miss Sullivan and, and Miss Keller would do that they would they would press on each other's uh, fingers, and that's how they would communicate. And so as uh, Dr. Brooks is is telling Helen Keller about God. Um, It's just amazing the way Helen Keller responds. Listen to what she says. She says, oh, I know him. I've known him a long, long time. I just didn't know what to call him. See, even in the heart of someone who has no way of seeing and has no way of hearing, God has written himself on the human heart. So uh, step number one is that God has revealed himself to everybody, so what did we do with this revelation? Well, Romans chapter 1, 18, 19 says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And by their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. So logical step number two, all people have rejected God. See, notice that phrase that says, by the un, by, their unrighteousness suppress the truth. That the universal response to the revelation was to suppress it because we didn't like it. We, we resented God in his glory. We resented the, his, his right to rule. We, we resented him being, instead of, of having God in the center, we wanted to be in the center. We wanted to get the glory. We wanted to obey our own rules. So we suppressed the truth about what God wrote in our hearts and there was sin. Which really means this, write this down, the greatest pandemic we face today is not physical sickness, but spiritual death. The greatest pandemic we face today is not physical sickness, but spiritual death. And so we suppress suppressed the truth. And as we suppress the truth, there was, uh, about God, there was three ways that this suppression manifested itself, and I'm gonna go through those quickly. Way number one was this, A, we disobeyed what we knew to be right. None of us, whether religious or not, live up to our own standards, right, of right and wrong. In other words, we want to count ourselves equal with God. We, we want to be gods. We, we want to be the master of our own destiny, of our own lives. Now, now, now you might be Christian, and if you're my, one of my uh, Christian brothers and sisters, you might be asking, well, wait a minute, uh, Roger, wh- when do I do that? Friend, listen. Any time that you've said, "I know what the Bible says, but I want to do what makes me happy," then you're grasping equality with God. And what that means is, if you really follow it down, that means that even the motives that are underneath our good motives are self-centered. So, a we we disobeyed what we need to be right. B we sought after things more than we sought after God. And that's true. I mean, if God exists, then knowing him is the most important pursuit in life. And yet, as we race, as we pursue, we seem to be pursuing all the wrong things. We are preoccupied with pursuing money and power and the approval of others and respect and sex or or whatever it is. We, We seem to want to race and pursue after those things more than God. And finally, the third one is we try to become our own gods. But but not just irreligious, but religious people do that. Because that's exactly what the Jews were saying. The Jews were telling Paul, wait a minute, Paul, wait a minute. You're, you're being way too inclusive here. It's funny because today they say Christianity is too exclusive, but Paul. Was getting in trouble because he was being too inclusive they're saying you're being way too inclusive here you can't just start letting gentiles in think about all the religious work we did all the rules we kept god owes us which is really just another way of being in control so so the jews are saying no no no. you know look what we've done we're holy we're jews by birthright by tradition we, we, we have this we're not guilty we can't be held responsible and Paul's conclusion about this and in fact about the whole world he says in chapter 3 when he says this look at Romans 3 he says as it is written none is righteous no not one all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God this has been the broken-hearted painful theme of Romans chapter 9 and chapter 10 ever since we began Look at Romans chapter 9 again, when Paul says, I wish that I could go to hell for the sake of my brothers going to heaven. Well, one of the main things Paul wants to say in these chapters is that Israel's unbelief and lostness does not mean that the word of God has failed. In fact, God is going to keep his promise. And knowing that, and without losing sight of that, and we're gonna get back to that, especially in chapter 11. Paul says something very crucial here in chapter 10 and very different, a very different way of balancing our way of thinking about God's sovereignty over the unbelief of Israel. Because check this out. Anyone who denies sovereignty is heretical. Anyone who denies responsibility is unbiblical. The biblical writers hold uh, both of these truths in balance. For example, in Luke 17, one, Jesus said to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks will come, sovereignty of God, but woe to those through whom they come, responsibility of man. Paul says it in Philippians, look at that. He says, continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, responsibility of man. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose, sovereignty of God. Peter uses this in his Pentecost sermon talking to the Jews. Look at this. He says, "This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, sovereignty of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, responsibility of man." And we see this throughout scripture which means that through the totality of God's sovereignty, free will exists and therefore we see what we we start making sense of what Paul is saying in chapter 10. Look at this in verse 18 he says but i ask have they not heard? In other words, have not these conditions of sending preachers and and, and hearing been met? And Paul answers yes they have. Then Paul uses Psalms 19:14, 19, 19:4 19, to emphasize this. Look at this. He says their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In other words, Paul points and makes a clear picture. He says, the message of Christ is preached to Israel and she has heard it. So she is responsible for her unbelief. He then goes on in verses, chapter 10 of verse 19 and 20. He says, but I asked, did Israel not understand? In other words, did Israel not literally know? And Moses and first Moses says, "I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation with, foolish, with, with, with a foolish nation that uh, will make you angry." In other words, Moses was predicting that these Gentiles that weren't even Jewish, were going to accept Jesus Christ, the Jewish Messiah, as savior, and become saved." And then Paul draws a sad result in verse 21. He says, "But of Israel, he says, "All day long, I have held out my hands." to a disobedient and contrary people. In other words, all the prophecies and all the fulfillment of the gospel that Israel heard, most of them still did not believe. And the way Paul describes their unbelief is extraordinary because he says this, that God all day long held out his hands and yet they were disobedient and contrary. My aim this morning is not to analyze how Is it possible for God to be sovereign and man to be responsible? What I'm trying to do this morning is just show you that the Bible is saying that that is the reality and that the reality is this, is that God beckons and God calls, God invites. And we have to understand that. And there are some people who miss this because they say, well, wait a minute, I believe God is completely sovereign And so therefore, the idea of God beckoning and calling is, it doesn't make sense. And so I don't feel like I should reach anybody or tell anybody about Jesus. And then you have people on the other side of things who say, no, no, I believe in man's free will. And so God's just kind of a bystander. He's kind of out of the picture. And in fact, God needs us. Otherwise, no one would be saved, right? And both are sad mistakes because, again, anyone who denies the sovereignty is heretical and anyone who denies responsibility is unbiblical. So logical step number one, God has revealed himself to everyone. Logical step number two, everyone uh, has rejected God, so they're responsible. And now quickly, I'm going to go through the last ones, which is this. Logical step number three means all people are guilty before God. Now, as Americans, we kind of get bent out of shape because we say, wait a minute, all people are guilty? The whole human race? (laughs) And as Americans, we don't like this idea because in our westernized thinking, we're very individualistic. And so this idea of community or even corporate responsibility staggers us. But I think the best way for us to understand that is this, is, is looking at Abraham and this interesting encounter that Abraham has with God. And really, this is fascinating because what's happening is God is talking to Abraham that he is about to destroy the city, Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham begins to have a dialogue with God and says, "Uh, God, I'm so sorry, please don't get angry. But listen, if you can find 50 righteous people, will you not destroy the city? And God says, yes. And so Abraham says, again, let me just ask this. If, if there could be 45 people that, that are righteous in the city, if you find 45, will you not destroy it? God says, yes. And so Abraham keeps going, 30 and 35 and 20, and, and he gets all the way down to 10. And he says, if you find 10 righteous people in the city, will you not destroy it? And God says, yes, I will not destroy it if there are 10 righteous people in the city. Now, what's happening here? It seems like, you know, Abraham and God are kind of haggling over melons in the market or something, right? It's some strange. But actually, Abraham is doing something very fascinating here. He, he's asking a question. He's asking, could it work in reverse? It, it, this is what I mean by that. If it's true that the sin of another could come upon me and make me guilty, that someone could stand and proxy as my representative for sin, what about the possibility that the righteousness of somebody else who I'm in solidarity with, could come on me as well. Could it work in reverse? And to Abraham's astonishment, God kept saying yes. Every time he would lower the number, God said, yes, I'll do it. Yes, if you could find 10 righteous people in the city, I will not destroy it. How surprising is that? But then Abraham stops. He completely stops. It's almost as though he's building up and he's we're getting to the climax. He's coming to the crescendo, the apex of the story. And we we all know what we're waiting for Abraham to ask, don't we? We all know that we're waiting for Abraham to say, God, what if you just found one righteous person in the city? Then would you not destroy it? That That's what we're waiting for. And we're waiting for God to say, yes, if I can just find one righteous person, I won't destroy it. But Abraham never gets there he never asks why well he realizes that if there's only one person in the city and that really that one person would be his nephew lot and he knows that lot is only relatively righteous that he's not that he's not actually righteous he, abraham knows that there wasn't anyone righteous in the city in fact abraham knows something that is hard for us to accept which is there is no one righteous no one righteous and what Abraham walked away because he realized we need a righteous high priest. And what Paul says is this he says, We have one. We have one. Look at what he says in Romans chapter 3, 21 through 24. He says, But now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. We are justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Logical step number three is that we're all guilty. But logical step number four is that, but God made a way to save us. He made a way to save his people. There are four key words in that verse, which is gift, redemption, grace, and believe. And so when we ask the question in chapter 9, 10, 11, we say, well, wait a minute. What about the Jews? Paul is saying, well, salvation isn't just for the Jews and not for the Gentiles. And, he's, and Paul is saying, and it's not like salvation is just for the Gentiles and not for the Jews, but it is for anyone who believes. And so now we have a full picture of what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 10. In fact, look at what he says, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Paul is trying to say, yes, God will keep his promise, even though Israel didn't keep theirs. And this is the amazing news for us all. This is the amazing news. For all of us, here it is, logical step number five. The amazing news is that Jesus made a way, that God made a way through Jesus Christ so that way all of us could be saved. And so logical step number five is this, people need to hear this news. People need to hear this news. We just went through a lot of scripture. We just went through a lot of of Romans so that way you can get this picture painted in your mind and in your heart and in your soul that God has not forgotten. And, and, and the answer is to Paul to, to the question that Paul is raising, this objection is, no, God has not forgotten the Jews. Yes, God's word is true. Yes, God will keep His promise. And yes, God made a way for all to be saved, anyone who calls upon. His name. That is great news. And now people just need to hear it. There's a song by Ed Ames that goes like this Um, Side by side, two people stand together, vowing hand in hand, that love's embedded in their hearts. But soon an empty feeling starts to overwhelm their hollow lives. And even when they seek the hows and the whys, who will answer? On a stage and a distant hill, a young man's lying very still. His arms will never hold his child because a bullet's running wild has struck him down. And now we cry, dear God, why, oh why, oh why, but who will answer? Is our hope in walnut shells worn around the neck with temple bells or in deep within some cloistered walls or hooded figures who pray in halls or crumbled books on dusty shelves or in the stars or in ourselves? Who will answer? If the soul is darkened by a fear it cannot name, if the mind is baffled when the rules don't fit the game, who will answer? Who will answer? who will answer. See, the world is crying out for an answer and you and I who have that answer have the greatest opportunity and responsibility to tell the world and let them know. Romans ten fourteen seventeen 17 says this, how then will they call on him who they have not believed and how will they believe in him who they have never heard And how will they hear without someone preaching? Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. Has God forgotten us? No. No, he hasn't. And next week we'll see that he has a plan for God's people, right? Has God forgotten us? No, but we've forgotten him. It's interesting because before this COVID-19 season that we are in, I think many of us have forgotten God. We were busy going nowhere in the midst of ordering cappuccinos and packing school lunches and making corporate presentations and dining at restaurants and paying bills and completing college credits and planning the next exotic getaway, trying to improve church programs, all those things. And in the midst of that, somehow we forgotten God. In fact, when I worry, it's because I forget about God's wisdom. When I resent, it's because I forget about God's mercy. When I covet, it's because I forget about his beauty. When I sin, it's because I forget about his love, right? When when I fear, it's because I forget about his sovereignty. The question is not, will God remember us? The question is, will we remember him? And not just in this season that we're in now, but when this season is behind us, when all of a sudden businesses are going again and and everyone's in work and we're bringing the kids to school and and, and, and things are going, are kind of getting back to normal, we'll re-remember God. That's my prayer. Heavenly Father, you always remember me. Help me to remember you. I, uh, I miss gathering together so much, and I cannot wait for the day that we're able to do that again. And not just on Sunday mornings, but I also miss gathering in our small groups, which we call Connects. But what's awesome is that we've been able to take these small groups and turn them into virtual groups. And so our, uh, we now have Connects that are on Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights and Thursday nights all through Zoom. And if you would love to be a part of connecting to a community, um, and right now, it's the season for it. I know that, that we are missing human interaction and this are, these are just great opportunities for us to get together, to grow, to learn, to love and to go deeper into God's word. And so every week, what we do is we go through questions that we ask uh, the group about and we dialogue about those. And so what we like to do, on Sundays is we like to give you those questions in advance, and so that's what I'm going to do right now. So question one is this. Humanity's desire to suppress the truth of God manifests itself in three ways. We disobey what we know to be right, we seek other things more than we seek God, and we try to become gods ourselves. Of the three, which do you see most prominently happening in your own life? Wow. Now, if that's not enough, there's another question. Question number two, in the light of God's sovereignty, which means his control, there's a temptation to leave evangelism to God only. Yet scripture teaches that in God's sovereignty, man is responsible. How does this truth compel you and not detour you to co-labor with God in reaching the lost? And finally, number three, What actions in your life reveal that you have forgotten an attribute of God or even God altogether? Wow, those are some deep questions and I cannot wait to dialogue with you guys about that and for you guys to get into your connects through Zoom and talk to each other about this. And I believe we're going to have a fantastic week. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. My prayer is that you continue to follow us in this series called By Faith, because I believe that God is going to continue to strengthen you and encourage you and speak to you um, right where you're at, no matter where you are watching this or listening to it. And so thank you guys so much. And I miss you guys. We love you. God bless you. And I hope you have an amazing day.